Good morning, everyone. Uh, this morning we are in Jonah chapter 2. Uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, and I hope you do, in either paper form or in the form of a device, please open up to Jonah chapter 2. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Jonah chapter 2. This is the word of the Lord. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and all your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look Yet shall again look upon you, your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed in upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay vain regard or regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited out upon the dry land. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we are aware of our inadequacies. We are aware of our sins and our faults and our failures. And Father, we thank you for your word that is like a mirror in our face, showing us who we are. But not only that, showing us how good a Savior we have, showing us that grace upon grace upon grace is ours in Christ Jesus. And Father, we thank you for that. Father, this morning we come into this room, uh, each one coming from different circumstances and different troubles and different trials. And so, Father, we pray as we open up your word that you would speak to us uh, through your living word that is active. Father, we thank you for that fact that each one of us can be coming in here this morning with different, from different places, and yet your word can uh, just pierce through all of that and, and penetrate our hearts exactly where you want to. And we acknowledge again that anything that will happen in this room today that is of any eternal value is wrought of the Holy Spirit. So again, we, we pray that you 
person of the Spirit would move amongst us and speak to us and make us what we're not and give us what we do not have. Father, we do pray for our world this morning, broken, so much conflict, so much war. And Father, we pray for the churches in, in places where there is currently conflict, Ukraine, Israel, Gaza. Father, we pray for your church. We pray that you would help it and sustain it. We pray that you would give them courage and comfort and that they would know the love of Christ and what it is to be your children. And we pray, Lord, haste the day when our faith shall be sight and the clouds be rolled back like a scroll and King Jesus, you will descend. Here's today, we pray. Speak to us now, we pray through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last week we began our series in, in Jonah, uh, the prophet who said, no, no way. You'll know the story if you were here last week, and you'll probably know the story or the, the, the gist of the story anyway. Uh, Jonah said, no way, there is no way I am going to those Ninevites, those uh, scumbags, for fear that they might actually repent and turn to you, Yahweh. We, we remember that that was the, the reason why he does not go, for fear that they actually would repent and actually come to him and actually be become part of the kingdom. And so he says, no, I'm not going. There's no way I'm going. I'm out of here. I'm off to Spain. If you were here last week or you heard the sermon, you'll know that that's where he was heading. I don't know if he was a cyclist. Maybe he was. Maybe he fancied Spain, a couple of weeks in the mountains. Who knows? But the reality was he went down. We saw last week he went down, down, down. That was his trajectory, down. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the boat. And he went down into the sea. And we left chapter 1 last week with Jonah being swallowed by a big fish. Now, the story of Jonah, I, I think, as I've been studying it again, I think the fish gets too much credit. He's literally mentioned twice in the whole book. And if you were to ask anybody what Jonah is about, they would say, Jonah and the, the fish. It's not what it's about at all, really. He gets too much credit. But that's where we left it last week. We literally left it, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's where we were. And so let's start today in chapter 2. You're in here, and you would claim to be a follower of Jesus. How did you get saved? How did you get saved? There's a word that we're scared of in probably modern church, isn't it? Saved. We don't like using that. Good biblical word, though. 
But how did you get saved? Think about that. Verse 9 of chapter 2 tells us this. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no respite? No, all for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Folks, if you cannot say, as we start out chapter 2 today, if you cannot say with Jonah that salvation and your salvation solely belongs to the Lord, then even at the outset of this sermon, I'm going to ask you to take a second look at your salvation. Because if you cannot bring soul purpose, authority, happening of your salvation to the Lord, and you think that you contributed anything to it, then I think you need to take a second look at it. Remember that question as we go through this morning. How did you get saved? We often hear testimonies, and the testimony will spend probably Well, we don't often hear them here, to be fair, but growing up, I used to hear a lot of testimonies, and the testimony would 95% consist of what the person was. I was this, I was that, I was something else, and I was a really bad child. I went to, this is a story that's not in the notes, I'm taking up time, but anyway, I went to Bambridge Academy SU weekend one time to do a talk, and I told them I was in the UDA, and I told them I was a drug dealer, and I told them I was such and such and such and such and such and such. And I had them like, you serious? They were just fixated. Unbelievable. And then I told them I was lying. And I grew up in Kiltar Park in the friend, and I was a good wee child. Lived with my granny and granddad and was a good boy. Not such a great testimony. Do you know what I mean? We tend to make our testimonies all about the person and what the person was like. And then this wee tag on at the end was where Jesus did something. That's not a good testimony. Salvation belongs to the Lord. All of it, every step of it, as we'll see as we go through this morning, it is all about Him. So, what we have in Jonah chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer to the Lord from the belly of the fish. Salvation is of the Lord. John Owen, one of the Puritans, uh, was fond of saying this saying, it's one thing to know the truth, but it's another thing to know the power of that truth. It's one thing to say salvation belongs to the Lord, but do we actually really know what that means? Do we know the reality of that? Do we know that in the depths of our experience? What does it mean to say salvation is of the Lord? It means that we contribute nothing, as I say. Salvation is of the Lord beginning to end. If God doesn't save us, then we're not saved. If God doesn't save us, then we're not saved. That's what Jonah learned in the belly of the fish. 
that salvation is this saving nature of God is Him beginning to end. I'm sure He knew that. Again, I'm sure that the reality of, of Him being a prophet and Him being one who received messages from God and gave messages to the people, He knew that salvation belonged to the Lord. But here He was getting it right up close and personal, and it was bringing it home to His actual experience. Spurgeon said that the fish was… You'll only really get this if you're a theology geek, so let me, let me, just, let, let, let me just point that out there from the start. Uh, Spurgeon used to say that the fish was an an Arminian fish because as soon as Jonah said, salvation is from the Lord, he spat him out. Now, you'll only get get that if you know the difference between an Arminian and a Calvinist, all right? So, I apologize for that. uh, Arminians, I'll just give you a brief so you might get it. Arminians believe that we choose to be saved. Calvinists believe that God does the saving. That's the difference, all right? So, as soon as Jonah said, Salvation belongs to the Lord. There are many and fish. Spot them out. You get it now? No? Right. Oh, brilliant. Uh, worth my while putting that in. Right. Let's move on. Here we have Jonah in the depths. He is literally in the depths. And the point of these verses here is not so much of where Jonah is or how he even got there, but the point of these verses is to show how his God is going to provide for him and how his God is going to save him. That's the point of these verses. Jonah ends up on dry land at the end of chapter, or chapter 2 here. And it's clear he ends up there not because he deserves it, but because of God's grace. Now take yourself back. Take yourself back through the narrative of Jonah being spat up on the shore uh, out of a big fish. Surely there was questions asked. Jonah, where you been? Well, I've been in the belly of a fish. All right, that would explain the smell. Okay, listen, I was thinking about this this week, and the smell of Jonah coming out of the belly of the fish could be only second to William Bingham's pig farm. And I know, because I used to work there. That's not actually true. That's not actually... William, don't get into this. I'm, I'm telling you. Do not pick an argument when you're down there and I'm up here with a microphone. That's just what I'm saying. All the powers up here with the mic, all right? Don't. I could go into you not being able to change light bulbs, for example. I could go into, you know, stuff like that. Uh, I used to go there, literally had to, this is going to be too much detail, you don't need to know, but literally had to strip all my clothes off before I went into the house after I'd been there because it's rotten and you can't get it off you and it stinks and pigs are stinking. So Jonah was stinking. This is what it was like. This is what I equivalented it to. That's not even a word. But anyway, that's where we are. He's rotten. And that's where God spoke to him. And he cried out to God and found God in that most desperate, in that most low, in, in, in the lowest of the low situations. He cried out for help and God listened to his cry. He was discovering from the depths of the belly of the fish 
What many of us have discovered when we've tried to run away from God is that you, can't, you can run, but you can't hide. And here we have Jonah crying out to God from the depths. And so we see this first phrase here, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and He answered me. I don't know if you recognize this as we read this, but does that not sound familiar? I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and He answered me out of the valley of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. Does that not sound familiar to your ears? Where, 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 what, that might, what might that sound like? It sounds like a psalm. It sounds like a psalm. It sounds uh, familiar. Now, I don't know, and we don't know, whether Jonah actually uttered these words completely the way they are exactly. It's just coming, like, literally in the belly of the fish. We're not sure. Or afterwards, when he was retelling the story, he, he, he tidied it up a wee bit, and, and it sounds just so beautiful and so poetic. Maybe he did. But what is this psalm? It's a prayer. It's a prayer to Almighty God. And it talks about Him being taken out of the belly of Sheol. And we know that Sheol is always in Scripture associated with the realms of the dead. The realm of the dead. That's what he's saying here. From the depths of almost being dead, you heard me. I'm as close to death as possible. I'm at the end of my teller. I cry to you, and you heard my voice. There, in the most extreme circumstances, in the belly of a fish, in the depths of the sea, as close to death as is possible, what was Jonah's instinct? To pray. It was to pray. God has brought him to the end of himself. He brought him to the very point where he could do nothing else other than pray. He can't run any further. He's in the, the, the fish. He can't go anywhere. He's gone to the edge. There's no further to go. And he prays. At his lowest ebb, he turns to prayer. But interestingly, though, that he is so full of the Scriptures that this is what he prays. The reason why it sounds like a psalm is because Jonah the prophet was so full of the Scriptures, when he turned to pray, he, he prayed Scripture. And he prays out of that knowledge of who God is, what God can do, and he prays this prayer of repentance and worship. And do you not think it's like that for us most of the time? God almost has to bring us to the very depths until we actually turn to Him. We come to the ends of ourselves we see there's no other way, and we turn to Him. 
And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you come in here this morning and, and you come in and, well, if you come in on time, you maybe smile to people and maybe, maybe that's why you came late, maybe because you don't want to smile to people. But maybe you come into this room today and you're, you're, at, the lowest, you're at your lowest ebb. All other avenues have been pursued and you find yourself in here this morning feeling rather hopeless. Look at what it says. Look at what the Scriptures say. I prayed and He heard. I prayed and He heard. I prayed and He answered. And here's the really good thing. It was at His worst this happened. It was at Jonah's worst. Walking in open rebellion. He is brought to his senses by the circumstances around him, and he returns to God in prayer. But it is in his worst open rebellion, running away from God, he prays, and what? God answers. I don't know if, I don't know if you see a, a parallel here, but but I could see very, very clearly, as I studied this this week, the parallel with the prodigal son. There, there is a complete parallel here with the prodigal son. Look at this stone. Jonah, running away from the Father. Running away from the presence of God. The son in the prodigal son is trying to get away from the presence of his father. Both are allowed to do so. God the Father let Jonah run so far. The Father in the story of the prodigal let the Son go so far. Both are allowed to go to points until they come to the end of themselves. Jonah in the stinking belly of the fish, the prodigal in the pigsty. They come to their senses and they both come back to the Father who is what? Waiting with open arms to receive them. You see, the picture we're getting, the picture is this. We sometimes need to be brought to the end of ourselves to come running back into the arms of the Father. Sometimes we need to be brought to the end of ourselves before we come running back into the arms of the Father. As I say, maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you are at the end of yourself. You've tried everything else. You know it's not working. Maybe it's time to come back. Maybe it's time to come back. That's the first thing we see. Being brought low makes us see clearly. Being brought low makes us see clearly. It wasn't until Jonah had everything stripped away until he could see how things really were. Second, Jonah here then... Uh, 
tells us about how God delivered him. But first, Jonah explains that God was the one that cast him into the deep, into the heart of the seas. God caused Jonah to endure being engulfed by the current. The literal meaning here is engulfed, surrounded. As these breakers and billows pass over him, again, there's a cross-reference with Psalm 69, parallels to what Jonah is experiencing. Psalm 69 verse 1, Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. Psalm 42, Deep calls to deep. At the sound of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. This, the psalmist is using metaphors for how he feels. He feels he's in the deep. He feels he is being surrounded, engulfed by what's going on. And Jonah clearly here from verse 3 understands that he is being disciplined by God through what's happening. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and all your billows passed over me. How things have changed from the last chapter. Jonah made it clear that he was fleeing from the presence. He was going to get out of the presence of God. He was going to be able to escape the presence of God. And now he realizes that, that it is God himself that has thrown him into the deep. There's a realization that he can't get away from the presence of God. All your waves and all your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. What's going on there with with Jonah. Well, what's going on there is that he is praying this prayer in hope that once again he will be in Jerusalem and he will worship with the people of God. That's what he's in hope. Even in this circumstance, that's what he's doing. He's praying in hope that one day again he's going to be in the appointed place of worship in Jerusalem. I want us to imagine, if we can, how would you have felt it's very difficult. It's very difficult for us to imagine how we're going to feel if we've been swallowed by a fish. Let's be honest. Not many of us have been close to that, I don't think. Probably someone, oh yeah, one time I got nearly swallowed by a fish. No, you didn't. Right. Stop telling lies. It's very hard for us to imagine. I would have been in complete panic. You can't breathe says here, seaweed wrapped around my head, fighting the circumstances around you, hopelessness, fear, panic. He feels here as almost as if the, the water is a prison with bars around him. He can't escape. And worse than that, he feels completely cut off from God. And I think there are, there are two lessons we need to learn here from, from this description of, of what Jonah is feeling and what is going on here. There are two lessons. Lesson number one. Look at what it says in verse 3 again. For you cast me into the deep. There is no sense from Jonah of letting God off the hook. 
There is no sense from Jonah of letting God off the hook when it comes to his own suffering here. He is very clearly apportioning this act of judgment and the consequential suffering at the feet of God. Now, let me say this to be clear. Not all suffering comes directly from the hand of God. We do can bring it on ourselves, or simply it can be the result of a broken world. But there is no doubt in this instance, in Jonah's mind, that he is apportioning the, the direct consequence of, of this to God. God did it. One of the most misquoted or misused verses in the Bible when it comes to this, when it comes to how we consider suffering, is in the story of Joseph and what Joseph's brothers did to him. How often have you heard the verse, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good? You haven't. All right, fair enough. Then You've never heard that verse, no? Nod or smile or do something. Right, you have. You've heard that verse. Right. L let, me, let me read it again. You meant it for evil. The brothers, Joseph's brothers, what they did, they meant it for evil, but God used it for good. God turned it around. He didn't see it coming, but, but, he, but, he, but he managed to use it around. The sovereign God of all the universe didn't see this happening, but then the brothers did this bad thing, and then God used it. Right? There's a problem with that. There's a problem with that, and that's not what the verse says. That is not what the verse says. The verse actually says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Meant it, not used it, not took it and turned it around, not made something good out of a bad situation. No, God meant it. What the brothers did to Joseph, God meant so that he would fulfill his purposes. And it's the same with Jonah. Jonah ends up in the water, in the belly of a fish, because God meant that to happen. God did it. God did it. And folks, we need this. Both Joseph and Jonah have a really good, sound theology of suffering, and we need this badly. We need it badly. And again, instead of attributing every perceived hard thing in our lives to Satan, might it be that actually God is trying to get our attention? C.S. Lewis, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. It is His megaphone to a deaf world. It is His megaphone to a deaf world. We need to see 
I need to know sometimes the stuff that is in our lives that are bad, we, seem, we, we look at it as bad, could be the very hand of God trying to get our attention. Right, second lesson, and this goes hand in hand with the first. We make real choices which have real consequences. We make real choices that have real consequences. But John, you just said that God brought this upon Jonah. Look, he says it himself, for you cast me into the deep. Yes. And what we have here is a classic theological case of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And this is something we need if we are to live in this world with peace, folks. If you are to live in this world with peace, this is something you need to have. You need to have an understanding of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And you need to know that these two realities can coexist. God is sovereign over all things without exception, and we are responsible for the choices we make. Both those things are true, and both those things must be held in tension. And we can believe them both. We're responsible for the who After all, who decided to run? Jonah. Who decided to get into the boat? Jonah. Who decided to go for a sleep? Jonah. Who decided that he would confess his sin and allow the sailors to throw him overboard? Jonah. And God's sovereign over it all. So you're responsible. I am responsible for our choices. It's very rarely, if ever, the devil made me do it. It's very rarely, if ever, the devil made me do it. You made you do it. I made me do it. You're responsible for your choices. I'm responsible for my choices. Your choices have real consequences. My choices have real consequences. Those two things must be held in tension. God is sovereign over all things, and we are responsible for our own choices. But Jonah has a really good, sound theology of suffering. Third, Jonah learns something about grace from the belly of the fish. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. What he does here is he remembers God, and he remembers that God is gracious to him, and he remembers how, how he has steadfast love for him. Now, the way that this is interpreted here is really important, because this steadfast love that he talks about in verse 8 is a covenant love. It is the same covenant love that Jonah is talking about here in verse 8, the same covenant love that sends Christ to the cross for the sins of the world. It is a promised love, a covenant, a promise. And it is this rescuing love, this covenant love, this promised love that Jonah is now experiencing. 
We know that because he's worshiping. How can you worship from the belly of a fish? And yet that's what he's doing. Verse 7, when, I re- when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. But Verse 9, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. He's worshiping. This runaway prophet has went from just flat out disobedience to repentance, to worship in the belly of a fish. He says something interesting here, though, about this steadfast love, this, this covenant, the Hebrew word hesed, covenant love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will repay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of covenant love. Let me read that again. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of covenant love. Jonah here makes a contrast. He is experiencing the covenant rescuing love of God, but he says that those who pay regard to vain idols forsake that experience. They forsake that experience. Now, let me be clear. We need, to be, we need to clear this up. So, the word idol is one that is thrown around all the time. The word idol, we, you hear me say it from the front. You hear other preachers say idols, and you hear it all the time. What is the biblical definition of an idol? What is the biblical definition of an idol? Let me give you. An idol is anything that we come to rely on for some blessing or help or guidance in place of a wholehearted reliance on the true and living God. That's an idol. Let me give it again just so you have it. An idol is anything that we come to rely on for some blessing or help or guidance in the place of wholehearted reliance on the true and living God. Now, I find this really interesting. Hear that in this prayer of a man who is at the lowest of lows, who has had everything stripped away, puts that in. He puts this caveat in. Why is this? My thoughts are this. When you're surrounded by idols, you don't even see them. When you're surrounded by idols, you don't even see them. It's only when everything is stripped away that you actually realize what you have been relying on all this time. It is only when everything is stripped away you realize what you have been relying on, and that's the key, remember, to the idle thing, relying on, going to, for blessing, for guidance, for help, for whatever. It's only when everything's stripped away. It is a, it's a wee bit like the Apostle Paul having to be blinded before he could see.
My concern, folks, is that we are swimming in idols and we don't even see them. We are swimming in idols and we don't even see them. Maybe you've heard the story about boiling the frog. Maybe not. I don't know. How you boil a frog. Some people are looking very concerned right now. Why is John going to tell us how to boil a frog? Right, I'm going to proceed. How you boil a frog? You don't boil the water up to boiling point and fire a frog into the boiling water because what will happen? What's a frog do? Well done. Jump. You're awake. Brilliant. Right. Frog will jump out. What you do is you place the frog in cold water and gradually turn up the temperature. Little by little by little by little. And guess what? The frog doesn't even realize it's being boiled. And then you have a nice boiled frog. My fear is in the church today, and I don't mean Cornerstone, I mean the church generally, is that the world is turning up the temperature little by little by little by little, and we are not even noticing. We are as the church of Jesus Christ, relying on money. We, as the church of Jesus Christ, are relying on status. We, as the church of Jesus Christ, are relying on power. We, as the church of Jesus Christ, are relying on popularity. We, as the church of Jesus Christ, are relying on comfort. We, as the church of Jesus Christ, are relying on family all of which are idols, if not checked. Are we relying on any of those things that I've just mentioned for? Remember the biblical definition. Are we relying on any of those things, money, status, power, popularity, comfort, family? Are we relying on any of those things for blessing? Is your mood dictated by the bank balance? Is your mood dictated by your popularity on social media? Is your mood dictated by comfort? Things are a wee bit uncomfortable. Mm. Are we relying on blessing? Are we relying on help? or guidance from any of those things, could it be that we are in danger of forsaking the blessings of steadfast covenant love of God because we are surrounded by idols, we're not even seeing them, and we're just all in, like a frog in a pot? Jonah says those that are are forsaking the covenant love of God. 
And what I want to say is this. We're really quite proficient, aren't we, at seeing everybody else's idol. Really good at that. Oh, look at them. Such and such is definitely an idol to them. Such and such is definitely an idol to that person. And we're like the little frog in the pot, boiling away and not even noticing. We need to be careful, folks. And I say this because I love you. And I am challenging myself. We need to wake up. And stop putting reliance, reliance on the things of this world. To finish today, Jonas, I'll bring you back to the start where we started on the question, how did you get saved? Well, Jonah answers it in verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You don't sit here today, I don't stand here today, a Christian, because of what I've done. We don't get to be part of this church family. We don't get to be a part of any church family because of what we've done. We get to sit here today, we get to worship, we get to be part of this church family because of what He's done. Because of what God has done, start to finish. All you need to do is read the Bible. Read the Bible, start to finish, and you'll see it's all His plan from start to finish, from creation, fall, exodus, the prophets, right through the New Testament, Christ coming, the church, where it all will end up in Revelation. It's all His. It's all His plan. It's all coming to fruition. It's all Him. Now, what that should do for us this morning when we hear that salvation belongs to the Lord is take a massive weight off us. Because here's the thing, your performance didn't get you here, so your performance can't keep you here. It's all Him, all the time. Holding, keeping, sustaining, loving, caring, showing compassion, showing grace, all the time, Him, even at our worst moment. When Jonah was in the valley of the fish, God showed him grace. Even in his worst moments, God loved him and cared for him and saved him. Salvation belongs to the Lord, not of us. His plan, His way, His time, not ours. Let me pray for us. Father, Father, we realize today that there is often times when you need to bring us low so that we can see. You need to, to break us so you can heal us. 
And so, Father, I pray for those in the room today who are maybe at that point. Father, speak. And give grace and give comfort. Father, help us as we try to fathom what it is to know that you are sovereign over all things, and yet we are responsible for what we do. And Father, we pray that you would help us not to pay regard to vain idols, and that we would cling to your covenant love. We ask all these things in and through Jesus' name. Amen.